and welcome to another episode of Christopher Hoppy Presents The Chamber. This is part two of our study of horror of the forbidden Lovecraftian literature and cinema. We started our investigation mainly with Lovecraft, and we went a little bit into what influenced him, mainly Edgar Allan Poe. Now we're going to look at who Lovecraft influenced. We'll look at Hellraiser. We'll look at an author by the name of Thomas Ligotti, the thoughts of John Carpenter, the thoughts of Guillermo del Toro, as well as David Cronenberg's uh, Shivers film. All of these are uniquely Lovecraftian, and this episode is going to address and link how they all fit this representation of forbidden horror. So right now, I'm going to analyze Hellraiser, Clive Barker's novella and film from 1987, which although it's not written by Lovecraft, it has all the elements that are truly Lovecraftian, and it's rooted in this concept of cosmic horror. Now, Hellraiser is based on the Hellbound Heart, is about Frank Cotton, who's bored by the pleasures and pains of the human world and finds a puzzle box. Upon solving this box, known as the Le Marchand configuration, he opens the gates of hell and summons the Cenobites, demons that are skilled in dealing pleasure and pain to those who call them. Frank is torn apart for his troubles, literally. His brother Larry and Julia move into the house where Frank lived. Now while moving to bed, Larry cuts his hand dripping blood on the floor where Frank was taken by the Cenobites. The blood brings Frank back. His former lover Julia kills men to make him whole. Kirsty, Larry's daughter, opens the box and brings forth the Cenobites. Julia and Frank kill Larry, taking his skin. Kirsty unleashes the Cenobites on Julia and Frank, and they take them both to hell. Now, what Clive Barker says of his early fiction and of his film Hellraiser, the whole point is actually going beyond the limits, pushing yourself into territories which others would not think of as taboo or forbidden. If you're not doing that, you're not using the strength of fiction. And as far as coming on the scene with Hellraiser in 87, he got the best endorsement possible from Stephen King. They quoted and said, I have seen the future of horror and its name is Clive Barker. Now, Barker through his career has been notorious of pushing boundaries in the world of horror, especially with taboo subjects in relation to his monsters. Now, generally the monsters don't talk about their condition, Barker said, but he wanted them to be in Hellraiser because I think what the monsters in movies have to say for themselves is every bit as interesting as what the human beings have to say. And that's why in a stalk and slash film, I think half the story is missing. These creatures simply become, in a very boring way, abstractions of evil. And he likes the idea that a point of view can be made by the dark side. Now here's some other thoughts on the Lovecraftian legacy from the masters of horror that he inspired. Guillermo del Toro, the director of Pan's Labyrinth and most recently Crimson Peak, and now he's done Shape of Water, as well as his version of Pinocchio, he says that H.P. Lovecraft had a gift for making everything particularly ambiguous. He would say, the leering face loaded with madness, or the evil perverse entity of unnameable. And when you're reading, you go, whoa, your brain fills those spaces. And for every creature, everyone has a secret mental image of what those creatures might look like. 
Now, Lovecraft had the ability to make his monster rooted in humanity, but also being inhuman. His lineage of creatures are that terrify us in both literature and screen, and he's inspired practically every major monster to the modern era. However, I would like to argue that the heart of horror is still related to something that involves fear of the unknown, or something that is forbidden or taboo. Now, the style of Lovecraft's writings have historically been challenging to filmmakers when trying to adapt his work from page to screen. The mantra of a film is to show and not tell. Film works on two principles, what a viewer sees and what they hear. But many of Lovecraft's stories are more internal where the horror is left to the reader's imagination. And the most important reason for this was that Eldritch Lovecraft's work brims with so much atmosphere, and as he calls it, eldritch monsters, that are given implied details. Therefore, each medium does add a different aesthetic that is difficult for us to come across when it comes to making films. And I continue with an additional comments here. Now, Lovecraft is called the godfather of modern horror. Clive Barker claims that his fiction is one of the cornerstones of the genre of modern horror. John Carpenter says, Lovecraft brings compelling visions of nightmarish fear, invisible worlds, and demons of the unconscious. If one author truly represents the very best in American literary horror, it is H.P. Lovecraft. Now, this is truly high praise, indeed, from two of horror's greatest minds. But what is it that makes Lovecraft's horror so seminal compared to those that who came before? Now, according to Lovecraft, he says again, the oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear, and the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown. This comes from his essay, Supernatural in Literature. Now, Lovecraft's pantheon of monsters from his Cthulhu mythos are indeed liked and linked to primal fear. Now, Sigmund Freud addressed this concept in his essay, The Uncanny. Freud says, There is no doubt that this belongs to the realm of the frightening, of what evokes fear and dread. It is equally beyond the doubt that the word is not always used as clearly definable sense and so it commonly emerges with what arouses fear in general. One would like to know the nature of this common nucleus, which allows us to distinguish the uncanny within the field of the frightening. Now, to explore his theory of the uncanny, Freud looks at the story of the Sandman by E.T.A. Hoffman. Now, the Sandman is a bad man who comes to children when they won't go to bed and throws a handful of sand in their eyes, so that their eyes jump out of their heads all bleeding. He then throws his eyes in his bag and takes them off to the half-moon as food for his children. Now, Hoffman's tale, in my mind, recalls a more modern telling that is most known as an icon of horror, and that's Freddy Krueger from the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Freddy was a child murderer who terrorized the kids of Springfield. And one night, the parents got together and burned Kruger alive, but a judge let him go on a technicality. But this 
made Freddy more powerful. He was able to enter the nightmares of the children of the parents who killed him, the Elm Street kids. Now, in Wes Craven's new nightmare, which is the seventh film of the series, the film plays with the idea that now the Elm Street movies are finished and the character of Freddy is actually trying to break into the real world because he's not just a child murderer, but in fact, a malignant dream demon who has existed since the beginning of time. And the only way for him to be stopped is for Heather Lankenkamp to play Nancy once more. And she has to cross over into another dimension of existence, the dream world, and rescue her son from Freddy's evil soul. Now, when I think of these two different characters, the Sandman and Freddy, I also think of something similar to Lovecraft's great old ones. And that is Nyarlathotep, the crawling chaos. And he's also a dream demon. Now, unlike any other Lovecraftian monster, he has the ability to take the shape of a man and can, in fact, be jovial at times, taunting his victims, just like Freddy Krueger, before he sends them to a plane of madness where the boundless demon Sultan Azatoth, whose name no lips dare speak aloud and who gnaws hungrily in inconceivable unlighted chambers beyond time and space amidst the muffled, maddening beating of vile drums and the thin, monotonous whine of accursed flutes. There's a taste of Lovecraft's short story writing from The Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath, which features Nyarlathotep as the main monster, And he scrawls and crawls across the entire story. Now, let's look at a author, more modern, of the late 20th century. Um, his name's Thomas Ligotti. And he wrote a pretty amazing collection of short stories called The Nightmare Factory. Um, and it is, in fact, one of the most important collections of late 20th century horror. And it's out of print. So... If you find it in a used bookstore or you see it online for less than, say, $50, um, buy it. Don't even think about buy it because it's usually priced over $100. Um, but what's great about Ligotti is he encompasses both Poe and Lovecraft. And his one story, The Last Feast of Harlequin, is dedicated to Lovecraft. If you're not familiar with it, it's about a man who searches for a strange carnival in the town. Of Miroquois. And it involves clowns. Now the finale has the most of cult clown members sprawling onto the floor as an evil magician speaks vile incantations. And those present all turn into worms. Now, in the introduction from the Consolation of Horror, Ligotti gives his own thoughts on forbidden knowledge as well as Lovecraft's fictions. Ligotti says, At best is one of the more sardonic gifts bestowed upon the individual, for knowledge of the forbidden is first and foremost an individual ordeal. It is particularly forbidden because the mere possibility of such knowledge introduces a monstrous 
and perverse temptation to trade the quiet pleasures of mundane existence for the bright lights of alienage, doom, and in some rare cases, eternal damnation. So we not only wish to know the worst, but to experience it as well. Now, I also want you to keep in mind that Ligotti is a self-proclaimed nihilist. And one of the key elements that elevates Lovecraft's horror is that, Ligotti continues, doom is not restricted to the eccentric characters in eccentric situations. It begins there, but ultimately expands to violate the safety zone of the reader and the non-reader for that matter, though the latter remains innocent of Lovecraft's forbidden knowledge. Now think about this. All of the horror before Lovecraft has been cautionary tales like Frankenstein and Hoffman's The Sandman. If one doesn't make a creature out of the parts of dead men or the child goes to sleep, then one is safe. But that doesn't work in the realm of Lovecraftian horror. No one is safe. Being a good human won't save you when great Cthulhu and the other ancient ones rise up from their eternal resting places. In Ligotti's Conspiracy Against the Human Race, he says of Lovecraft's uniqueness of horror, all human existence could lead to universal madness or extinction at a moment's notice. Through this atmosphere, Lovecraft gives consistency to an imagined world where there is greatness in knowing too much of the horror of a planet in the shadow of great Cthulhu, and that this implies about our existence. Now, as for all those people who still go about their ordinary average business complacently enjoying the skies of spring and flowers of summer, innocently unaware of the monstrosities which they coexist, they are children. Now, one topic that Lovecraft never really dealt with openly in his fiction as much was overtly forbidden sexual knowledge. But overtly forbidden sexual knowledge is the province of the work of David Cronenberg. And his first movie, Shivers, also known as They Came From Within, it's one of his most Lovecraftian of the work. Now it deals with the ideal of normal humans transforming into monsters just like in the story of the color out of space. In Shivers, Dr. Hobbes has been using a sexually active girl to create these loathsome slug-like parasites. The creatures respond to hyper forms of sexuality of any kind and have the ability to spread like a virus. Now, once Hobbes realized what he's done, he kills the girl and himself, thinking that he's stopped the spread of his experiment. However, we learn that the girl has been active with other men that live in the Starliner Hotel complex on a small island, and that the parasites, in fact, have been spreading from one lover to the other. And at the out of the film, the outbreak cannot be contained. The final scene of the movie shows the people of the complex traveling in cars back to the mainland, while in the background there is the sound of mass hysteria on the radio that a series of violent sexual attacks are plaguing the city to sexual madness. Now, on the level of cosmic horror, no one is safe and the world is doomed at the mercy of the parasites. Mary B. Campbell says of this that Cronenberg's images are so elemental that our experiences of them go beyond the plane 
of ideological critique. Though his vision is comprehensive and is symbolic, network coherent as displayed image of modern social schizophrenia, he is at bottom a poet. That is to say, concerned with the bodily facts and primal fears of individual human experience. The literal now level of this nightmare is the foundation of which his dark social vision is reared. She says that Cronenberg's horror films are all about sex, although some of them can be sociologically motivated explorations of modern sexual mores, they are tied together by a more biological focus. Sexual promiscuity is not terrifying, but bodily transmutation is. And I do think that this is one of the most terrifying aspects of Cronenberg's film. As we view this film, we are torn by the titillating pleasures on the screen, even though we know it's going to end badly. It's an element of repression that exists with the viewer. However, we are repulsed by the protruding creature that bubbles up from inside the body. Now, as Campbell states, we are turned on, but we're utterly mortified by the grotesque transformation that is the result of our forbidden sexual urge brought manifest in the shape of a disgusting parasite creature. Now, through the years, Lovecraftian horror has shapeshifted through time and worn different faces by either appearing as a dirty burned man in a red and green sweater with knives for fingers or a disgusting-looking slug that drives one to sexual madness, or a young man who realizes that he was always a member of the evil cult that he sought to destroy. All of these texts are deeply indebted to this cosmic terror that is the crawling chaos of Lovecraftian horror. 